Well, please remain standing and turn with me, if you will, uh, and a copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 12. Oops. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. If you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find that story on page 871. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Beloved saints, this is God's word given to us that we might know him and in knowing him, love him all the more. Please give your attention to the reading of it. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what they will put on, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let us ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word. Our gracious and merciful God, we know that You are great and greatly to be praised. We long to know You and Your attributes, Your character and Your works. It is these that you have recorded for us in your word, that you have preserved through the ages, that each generation might come afresh and behold your grace, your love, and your power. 
as we come to your word, open our eyes and our hearts that we might behold its treasures. Allow us to gaze upon your beauty and splendor. Humble us, encourage us, strengthen us in Jesus Christ, whom we meet in your word. Amen. If it does get a little loud back there, feel free to just move closer. You may be seated. We are the most wealthy nation living in the most prosperous time in history. We have more earthly comfort and wealth than virtually any other generation or culture or people ever. And yet we are the most anxious and possibly most medicated generation that has ever lived. And the question is, how is that possible? How can we be the most wealthy and comfortable and yet the most anxious and despairing generation to ever live? How is it, a, how is it that, a, that a people who has more options and more freedom and more wealth, more resources, also has more worry, more concern, and more anxiety? At first, it just doesn't seem to make sense. The, the pieces don't fit. It just doesn't add up. Something is missing. And we struggled to make sense of it. And the reason we struggle to make sense of it is because we are all operating on the same broken assumptions. We, we believe, we think, that anxiety comes from not having enough. That anxiety is the result of lack in your life. That what causes us to worry is that we need more. And so we assume that the cure for anxiety is just to have more. And yet as so many have learned, what is promised and what is delivered are seldom the same thing. And so the reality for many most is that as, as your resources increase, with that increases your anxiety. And in our passage this morning, Jesus, Jesus confronts our foolish assumptions. He shows us that, that they are not just foolish, but, but why they are foolish. And then he teaches us where true peace is found. That the only way to be free from anxiety is to treasure up what is eternal over that which is temporary. That's the only way. To treasure up what is eternal over that which is temporary. And so today we want to begin by, by looking at what happens when we seek our life and our contentment in it. In, and when we seek that in our earthly treasures. Because... Because it's temporary, it's easily lost, and it can offer no lasting peace. And only a fool thinks that what is temporary and fleeting can deliver you from anxiety. And then we're going to look at the remedy. The remedy to anxiety, which is a focus on that which is eternal and cannot be lost, heavenly treasure. That's where we want to spend 
uh, the second part of our sermon this morning, because this will give us perspective to understand our earthly treasures and how we can honor God with them. Because it's here alone that we can find freedom in our lives. It's only when we rightly understand what God's given us and how we can honor Him with them that we can live a life of freedom. That's where we're headed this morning. Uh, Jesus is still teaching. Great crowds are assembling. And and while He's teaching, a a man shouts out from the crowd, Teacher, tell my brother to divide our inheritance with me. What a common issue in families, right? Right? Everybody seems to be getting along and then someone dies and suddenly everybody gets concerned about the inheritance. It's amazing how many families are divided over an inheritance. Inevitably, somebody wants more, more more than his share, more than the others get. And then the battle begins. And so it is here. Evidently, this man's brother is trying to get more than his rightful share. And and he's squeezing his brother out. And 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 it's not fair. This man just wants what's just. God loves justice, right? That's what he's thinking. Doesn't he condemn injustice and and swindling of others? And oppression, isn't that what he, he, he repeats over and over throughout the scriptures? Isn't he concerned? And so he's thinking, Jesus will surely come to my rescue. That's why he comes to Jesus. But have you ever noticed that when most people bring up justice, it's about some injustice they have suffered? Rarely do you hear someone who has benefited unfairly saying, well, that's not fair. I don't deserve all this. Or, I'm doing okay, but that person over there isn't. We often use the idea of justice, if we can be honest just for a minute, to serve our own pride, our own wants, and yes, our own bank accounts. He thinks that what matters to Jesus is making sure that the pie is evenly divided and everybody gets the exact same piece of the pie, the same amount. But his real concern is not justice. His real concern is himself. He doesn't think that Jesus is going to see through that. He's using the idea of justice, something that's dear to God, really to serve his own greed for more. When most of us cry out for justice, what we're really crying out for is self. And so Jesus calls him out on it. He says, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's no different, really, is it, than what we've seen in the last few passages that Jesus cares more about your heart than he does your bank account. He, he cares more about your character than he does your comfort. Simply put, he has very little interest with how the pie is divided. And he's not going to spend, dare I say, waste his time with something so trivial, something so driven by greed, 
and covetousness. Your bank account should have very little to do with who you are. If, if your bank account defines who you are, your life is not worth much. And you deserve pity, not respect. To explain this, Jesus tells a parable about a, a rich farmer whose farm produced an abundance. It produced more than, than he ever dreamed it would when he built his barns. Struck with the question of where to put it all, he decides to tear down his barns and build bigger ones to store up all this abundance. Then he would have room, and then he wouldn't need to worry anymore. He'd have enough for years, and he could just sit back and relax. And however, the day finally came when he finished building the new barns and filling them, and on that very day he died. All that he stored up, all that he hoarded, passed into the hands of others. And he was never able to enjoy it. And it caused, all it caused him was extra work, stress, and anxiety, and it gave him no comfort. And the implied question is what was gained? Because he put all of his hope into something that could not last and was easily lost, it provided no lasting comfort. In one sense, he had more than he needed, more than he ever hoped for, and yet it brought only anxiety, work, and not peace. And Jesus' question is this, is that what you think I want you to chase after? Is this what you think I'm about? Do you think I'm about chasing fleeting earthly treasure? Because Jesus knows the truth that if you spend your life chasing fleeting treasure, there will never be enough. It'll bring more grief than comfort and you can't take it with you. What then? Now caution would be good here. It, it would be easy to think Jesus is saying something he isn't. In fact, uh, what he says here has been misconstrued by some. There are some who think that Jesus is encouraging a, a footloose, bohemian uh, lifestyle where you just let life carry you wherever it does and you don't need a steady job. You, you don't need to get tied down with the mundane things of life. That, that You just need to live the adventure and not concern yourself with the future, that you just trust that there will be someone there to help you when the time comes. That's not what Jesus is saying. He, he's confronting selfishness. And somebody who lives the adventure, depending upon the diligence of others, is extremely selfish. Those who refuse to contribute and just live off the generosity of others are just as wicked as the rich fool who tries to hoard. The Bible makes it clear that those who refuse to work, which is different than being unable to work, but those who refuse, those who are able and unwilling, are not worthy of the charity of others. Nor is Jesus saying that it's bad to put away for the future, to plan for retirement. 
Uh, God says a, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Spending every penny you get with the expectations that others will care for you in your old age is just as selfish. A godly husband and father wants to provide for his family even if he dies, that there's something left to take care of them when he's gone. Spending everything you earn doesn't prove that you aren't selfish. It means that you see everything God has given you as existing for your pleasure. Jesus isn't condemning prudence and planning. So what exactly is he saying? What is he condemning? He's addressing what lies behind the stockpile and hoard mentality. The rich fool in, our, in, the, in the parable harvested more than he could possibly need, more than his barns could hold. But his instinct was not to share that abundance, but to find a way to stockpile it for himself. What is it that drives that kind of mindset? It's an attempt to free yourself from dependence on anyone else, including God. The inner voice goes something like this. If I can just store up enough, I'll never have to depend on anyone ever again. I'll never have to worry about the future economy or, or whether the rains will come and water my fields. I will be self-sufficient, self-sufficient. I won't have to depend on anyone. I won't have to trust anyone. I will be my own safety net. I will be my own savior. But what happens the moment we believe that? The question constantly becomes, do I have enough? What if my needs change? What, what if something happens to what I have? Since we've insulated ourselves from any help, we are consumed by the reality that we ourselves are finite. We can't account for every possible unforeseen circumstance. We become radically aware that there are many things outside our control. And do you know what it's called when you try to control something that is uncontrollable? Anxiety. Anxiety is the inevitable consequence of placing your trust in yourself instead of God. And there's only one question that matters at that point. Which of us, by being anxious, can add a single hour to our span of life? Anxiety, trying to control the uncontrollable, doesn't do anything but give you indigestion, heartburn, and an ulcer. And this is why people with, with more money tend to, to have more anxiety. It's because they've placed their confidence in something that that can offer no true comfort. As peace eludes them, they think that the problem is, well, I thought this would be enough, but evidently more is what is required. And so they get more and more, and rather than finding comfort, they find greater anxiety. And so they say, well, I just must need more. And on and on the cycle goes. As they try to cure, cure their anxiety with the very thing that's causing it. Life is more than food 
and the body is more than clothing. But if you don't understand what life is about, if you, if you don't understand what really matters, if you think that your bank account can comfort your soul, you will be an anxious mess. So what's the remedy for such anxiety? Well, ravens and lilies, of course. Jesus looks to them. He says, look at the ravens. They don't have storehouses or barns. They don't stockpile for years to come. They depend upon the Lord for their future, and the Lord meets them in their dependence. And then Jesus says, are you not of greater value than the ravens? In other words, doesn't God love you? Doesn't he love you more than the birds? Find comfort in his love. And then he turns to the lilies. They grow without toiling and they're dressed in glorious beauty. Even Solomon couldn't match their beauty. That's how God treats plants that, that will be gone tomorrow. Shouldn't you trust that he will also care for your needs? And the point of both of these is the Lord's provision. The Lord's provision. The Lord provides for the birds. The the Lord clothes the lilies. What saves them from anxiety is that they don't place their trust in themselves. They place it in God. The point is not that it's wrong to have an IRA or a 401k. It's that the second you look to those for your security, it will crumble. When you look for something to give you comfort so that you don't need to rely upon God, it will fail you. Nothing, nothing can do what God alone can do. Put another way, Jesus is talking about priorities. When you seek God's blessings before you seek God, (laughs) you are engaged in idolatry. You're looking for comfort, security, for hope. Things that God alone can give in the things that are not God. You're abandoning the only one who can give you peace. When you seek anything before God, when you place anything above him, anxiety will be your companion through life. Instead, seek God and his kingdom first and then let him worry about the details. Let him take care of the future. If, if you learn to trust him like the ravens do, then you will experience the peace they possess. If you confess that you are not your own savior, you leave room for the one who is. You learn the freedom that comes with saying, there's nothing I can do. God will have to take care of it. Ultimately, you'll acknowledge that whether you have much or little in this life, that what truly matters is that heaven is your ultimate inheritance, your true inheritance. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Good pleasure. I love that phrase. 
is your father's good pleasure. He delights in doing this. He enjoys blessing his children with his kingdom, which is ultimately experienced not in this life, but, but in the next. Jesus wasn't worried about earthly wealth because he understood what the rich fool did not. That death will strip you of all your earthly wealth in a moment. What then? If you don't have anything that lasts beyond death, you are living in extreme poverty. I don't care if you're a billionaire or if there are trillionaires now. I don't care. If you have nothing that will last beyond death, you are extremely poor. And I don't care how little you have in earthly terms in your bank account. If you are an heir of the kingdom of heaven, you are rich beyond measure. When you look for God's love in your earthly provision, you will be convinced convinced that God doesn't love you. But when you look to the life to come, when when you look for evidence of his love in eternity, you will see more evidence of his love than you could ever imagine. And that will free you to live a life of freedom. And what I mean is you will be delivered from the enslaving anxiety of chasing the almighty dollar. When you focus more on the treasures of heaven, you will see earthly wealth as an opportunity to bless others. That's what Peter says. 1 Peter 4.10 As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's good stewards of his very grace. In other words, God's gifts are meant to be shared, not hoarded. They are opportunities to show love and kindness to others. When when your wealth possesses you, you are its slave. You serve it with unquestioning loyalty. But when you understand that it is there to serve you, you're free to share it with others, trusting that he who blessed you today can bless you tomorrow. You see, when you place your trust in God and not your riches, anxiety has met its match. As we, as we conclude this morning, our Lord invites us to his table. And, and here, the, the bread and the wine serve as a portrait of Christ's sacrifice for us. We're reminded of Jesus' life in this world that as the world sees, he was poor. He had no home to call his own, no bank account to speak of. He sacrificed all his riches in, in order to love and to serve others. He, he gave all that he might bless. Even as we read in Second Corinthians, he who was rich for our sakes became poor that we by his grace might become the riches of Christ. And his sacrificial life climaxed in his sacrificial death. There he offered the greatest sacrifice that he could, his, his own life. And he was willing to do so because he understood with absolute conviction that this life was not all there was. That all the riches of this world are nothing if you have 
no inheritance in the world to come. And so our Lord leaves us both with a reminder of, of how he has loved us and lived, but also a, a model for us of how we are to live. To sacrificially serve others. The Lord's Supper is a stark reminder that the conventional wisdom of this world is grossly mistaken. Peace does not come in possessing wealth, but in possessing Jesus. God alone is worthy of your confidence and your trust. And that it is the Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Please join me in prayer. Most merciful Savior, you who came into this world, we thank you. We thank you for the reminder that our lives are not defined by our bank accounts, that we are more, so much more than the things we possess. And so we ask that you would teach us to treasure what is eternal more than what we can hold, more than all the treasures of the earth, that you would teach us to be grateful and to find peace in the reality that we are heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Amen.